Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to welcome you back to the program today and thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us. And uh, I trust you've been tuning in every weekend following the theme of what we've been sharing. Uh, if you have not been, uh, you can go back uh, to our YouTube page and you can view anything that we have aired to date there on our YouTube channel. And if you go to my website, which is right there on the screen, there's a direct link to that. Uh, you could also go back and sign up for our iTunes and our podcast and you'll get the audio portion of uh, the program and that way you can follow along with our ministry. Uh, over the last six weeks I've had on the set with me my oldest son Jeremy and uh, today I'm on the set by myself. But I want to kind of pick up where we left off and uh, one of the things we were sharing uh, uh, over the last six weeks with you was in the uh, fourth chapter of the book of St. Matthew, where Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted uh, by the devil, and he comes out of that uh, wilderness experience, having never faltered nor wavered uh, with every temptation that he went through. Uh, they, he was tested in three dimensions with the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and the lust of the flesh. And uh, with those three things is the temptation, I believe, of all humanity. But what we really uh, ca uh, capsulized on in that particular series that I did with my son was we capsulized on the fact that when Jesus uh, came up out of the waters of baptism, his father said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And we talked about a little bit that the approval of a father will always empower a son. And we get our identity from uh, our Father. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we shared, and I just by way of review a little bit, the first Adam was tempted in a garden. And when he was tempted, the devil said to him, in the moment you eat this tree, the fruit of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree which God said, don't eat from this tree. He said, the moment you eat from that tree, uh, the enemy said to him, you're going to be like God. Your eyes are going to be opened. Adam was already created in the image and the likeness of God. He didn't have to do anything to be like God. But what Adam did was moved out of a mistaken identity, and he moved out of unbelief. He didn't believe what God said about him because he was already made in the image and likeness of God. What he should have done is turn around and said to the devil, I'm already like God. Get out of my face. But Adam became the first victim of identity theft. I believe all sin flows from a mistaken identity. That's why in the New Covenant, it is a, I like how the Message Bible says it in, uh, I believe it is 2 Corinthians, I believe it is chapter 3, uh, the King James Bible says, for if the government of uh, condemnation was glorious, well this is the Message Bible, how about this, uh, this government of affirmation? So the Old Covenant is a government of condemnation, tells you what's wrong with you, and the new covenant is a government of affirmation, if you look that up in the Message Bible. So the new covenant gives you affirmation, it affirms you, it brings you into a revelation of your new identity. When Jesus was in the wilderness, and we came, again, just by way of review just a little bit, Jesus, when he is in that wilderness, 
The devil says to him, if you be the son of God, command these stones to be turned into bread. Jesus shows up in a wilderness. You say, why a wilderness, Brother House? Because a wilderness is an unkept garden. But when Jesus appears where the first Adam left off, when Adam had a garden, and by the time Jesus comes on the scene 4,000 years later, that garden has now become a waste howling wilderness, and it's in that same wilderness that Jesus begins his testing, and his testing is very similar. If you be the Son of God, command these stones to be turned into bread. And in a former segment, we already taught you how that those rocks can symbolize getting your identity from the cold, hard rocks of a rule-based religious system where the law of Moses was written on rocks. And if you're going to get your identity from your performance, you are always going to come up short. But Jesus turns around and says, man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The word that just proceeded from the mouth of God was, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. The words that are coming from the lips of the enemy is, if you be the son. I think Jesus turned around to the devil and said, evidently, you didn't hear what my father just said about me. He refused to move out of a mistaken identity. The moment I believe every son comes to a place of testing where our identity is tested. And when your identity is tested, in other words, Jesus even was being tested to, to prove who he was based on performing even the miracles. And I talked about this a little bit in one of the segments that we, we talked about just a few weeks ago. But when, when Jesus was tested with, uh, even, you know, if you be the son, uh, command these stones to be turned to bread, do a miracle. In other words, uh, his identity was being challenged. And we begin to share how that, that not only is something that can happen in the secular world, but many times even in ministry, uh, there is a temptation on us to prove our ministry, to prove ourselves, to make a name for ourselves, to climb, if you will, the ladder of uh, the pride of life. Uh, to, to, to try to climb the ladder of uh, where even the enemy says to Jesus, if you're the son, uh, you know, uh, if you'll bow down and worship me, then I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. And the motivation sometimes even in ministry can come from a wrong motivation where it's about, you know, what you get out of it or who knows your name or uh, how, how uh, you know, uh, I, I'm going to show off my gifts and my talents and, and, and uh, let me just prove who I am. See, all of that flows from a mistaken identity. Uh, but when Jesus finally overcomes that test, and I'm not going to go back and reiterate those things. We have six weeks of broadcasting we've already done. But the point I wanted to make in this particular series is that when Jesus came up out of that wilderness after that, uh, the Bible said that uh, he came up out. He says, now this is uh, Matthew 4, verse 12. Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying the land of Zebulun, and the land of Naphtali by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And those who sat in the region and shadow of death, 
light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say the same message that John began to preach and declare, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, again, this, this word repent is not only just uh, a repentance where you uh, need to repent of your sins and come to Jesus. I definitely believe in that. And I, I believe that you enter the kingdom through your new birth. But he's saying to these people, and I don't think we really get the gist when we are talking about the kingdom in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He's not talking about uh, us going to heaven. It was talking about heaven invading the earth. It was talking about the kingdom and the government of God coming in the earth. And he said to them, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, change the way you think is the Greek word for repent. Uh, have a change in your thinking, because if you do, uh, the kingdom is within your reach. And so, uh, you know, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is one mind shift away for these folks here who Jesus is now offering uh, the kingdom. He's declaring to them the kingdom is within your reach. And then he calls for fishermen, uh, and we'll read that, then we, but I want to get to the latter part of this chapter in this segment, in this verse 18, And Jesus, walking by the sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father mending their nets. And he called them and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria and they brought to him all sick people. I want to note that. I want you to note that. They brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. And great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. The first thing I, I want to share with you is that when Jesus comes up out of the wilderness, having passed this test, having walked through and really has come back to, I believe, the dominion that Adam had before his fall, because God gave him dominion as his vice regent in the earth. Here's the last Adam who is now on the scene. He shows up in a wilderness, but he comes up out of the wilderness, passing the tests of the temptation. And when he does, he begins to walk in a dominion and an authority again that I believe he will ultimately give to every believer uh, who he calls and to every believer whom he empowers to do the works of the kingdom. And when he come up out of that in the power of the Spirit, once again, dominion has been given back to him because he comes out in the power of the Spirit with all power over sickness and disease. And those who are demon-possessed and epileptic and paralytic and every disease. And Jesus begins to demonstrate in the earth what the kingdom looks like when heaven invades the earth. Because when heaven invades earth, what's happening is heaven's government, heaven's influence, heaven's power, heaven's uh, resources are released through this first son in the earth. And Jesus says in another place, if I cast out devils uh, by the finger of God, if I heal the sick and, and do the things, that, then the kingdom 
of God has come unto you. And so he's demonstrating the kingdom. I want to go back, though, and just see that Jesus begins to call, uh, you know, uh, to, to uh, into the ministry, Peter and Andrew, and then he begins to call James and John. Uh, but he calls these guys, they are uh, catching fish. They are working in the family business. I always thought, you know, one of the things that's always caught my attention uh, there used to be a song that says, never a man spake like this man when he said, come follow me. But, uh, and I always would think, now what is it that would be, if this guy, Jesus, just walks by uh, the, the seashore. Now he hasn't done a miracle yet when he begins to call these fishermen. He hasn't done anything except come up out of the waters of the Jordan baptized. And he has been declared to be the son. The father said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I'm not even sure these disciples were at that event when Jesus was recognized by the father, but they are in their father's family business and they are mending their nets. There's a lot of things could be said about this, but one of the main things I want to capitalize on is that when, when, you know, when Jesus would call uh, uh, these guys into the ministry, I, I said to myself, what would make you walk away? I mean, here, let, let's say a perfect stranger just walked up to you. You've got a successful family business. You have been trained your whole life to take over your father's Ebony's business. And this guy, Jesus, comes walking by and he says, come follow me. And the Bible said these guys left their nets, man. And immediately they, immediately they left their nets and followed him. Uh, man, you know, I don't know if you think about that or not, but I don't know that if somebody just walking by, unless you really hated the fishing business, you just drop everything and follow him. But one of the things I, 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 uh, I had done some research back some time ago on was that for, for every Jewish man that was born, they would enter into what would be equivalent to our uh, uh, grade school, if you will, our, the first levels of, uh, of schooling. And for their first several years of school, they would commit to memory and they would learn verbatim to be able to not only uh, remember, but to quote the first five books of Moses. They, they, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They could quote those first five books of the Bible or the Torah. And uh, they, 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 they could quote those things. And then as they, uh, uh, if they, if they made the cut, if they were like the best of the best, then they got to go into what would be like the next level of school, almost, if you will, like going to high school. And so that, that would be like, you know, if you were relatively smart, if you weren't, you kind of like ended right there after that particular season of school and you didn't go on to the next level. And so then they would go to the next level. I forget the name of what that was called, but they would go to the next level, which would be comparable, let's say, to our high school. And then if they were the cream of the crop, they would be chosen by a rabbi to go on to further studies, but they didn't choose the rabbi. The rabbi had to choose them because they were standouts among the class. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I, I wasn't always the standout of the class. And I think there's a lot of people could probably identify with this, is that, you know, you were the last one picked on the baseball team. They were, you know, you were the last one to get chosen for some things. And so, uh, you know, I kind of see these guys as they didn't make the cut of being the best of the best or the cream of the crops. So they're kind of like, uh, you know, they went back to the family business. They're learning to trade because, you know, uh, that's how they're going to make a living. 
But here comes Jesus, who is the ultimate rabbi, if you will. I mean, he is the ultimate rabbi. And he comes by, and they did not choose him, but he chose them. Uh, you know what? I, there's a place in the scripture that says, you've not chosen me. I have chosen you. And so the choosing, I mean, you know, to me, what an honor that these men are finding is that he would take them. And I love that about the Lord, because sometimes he calls the underdog. You know, you may not feel like the best of the best, or you may not have been the top of your class, or you may not have been, you know, the wisest. But, you know, the scripture says not many wise, not many noble. Not, you know, in other words, uh, are called. In other words, God sometimes chooses to weak things of the world to confound, to confound the wise. So if you're sitting there today and you're listening to me, and you feel like, man, I, I feel like I've never amounted to nothing. Maybe you need to hear this call from Jesus saying, come follow me. And man, they left their nets and immediately they began to follow Jesus. And, uh, you know, they, they left their, they left their, they were mending nets. You know, my pastor said something to me last night after the service about a message that she had preached back some time ago. And she said, there's a place where it talks about Jesus came and when he met some, they were scrubbing the nets. Uh, and then she comes by and, or then he comes by and he finds some of them mending the nets. And then he comes by and says to some of them, uh, you know, uh, leave the nets and follow. And, you know, I, I got to thinking about it. that really began to speak volumes to me because I think of our nets as, first of all, our relationships, our network of people and the people that we connect with, whether you're in an organization or you're just in relationships. Uh, you know, we, we, we work with several networks of churches. We don't have one per se that is a organized network, but we have a network of people that we work with. And what do you say? What's a net? Well, it's a place where uh, two lines cross and we tie a knot and hold on. So, you know, it's kind of like, uh, I, I believe sometimes, I think this word mending the nets is also translated later in uh, the scriptures, uh, this same Greek word for mending, where it says that you be perfectly joined together, that there be no schism among you. So I believe that we create this great net called the kingdom of God when we find places that we connect with, when we find the, the, the place where we, we fit, uh, if you will. If we, we, we find the place where uh, we become a joint of supply. But when the nets need to be mended, I believe that there are, there are so much division going on in our world today, not just in the political arena, but in every kind of I mean, there is such division among Christians. There's division in denominations. It's like, man, you know, uh, uh, you, 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 the people just want to find out what separates us. I believe it's time to tie some knots and hold on. Because if we don't mend the nets, we're going to find that there are fish that are lost as a result of us not connecting with people. And I think so many times our problem is, most of the time, uh, is that we have some dimension or area of revelation and uh, we think that's all there is. In other words, we got the truth and these others don't. But I, I tell you, one of the things that I have learned from traveling extensively for almost 40 years now is that everybody in every camp I've ever been around has something to add to me I can learn from them. So I, I go in there thinking, what can I learn from these people? And then what am I called here to teach them? Because I'm going to tell you something. There are things that we need to hear from the different camps. 
Uh, we need to hear uh, what, what's being taught from the Word of Faith camp. We need to, be, to hear what's being taught from the grace camp. We need to hear what's being taught from the uh, uh, revival crowd. We need to hear, you know, uh, and, you know, what's being taught from the Pentecostals. My, my background history has come through so many moves of God that what we've been able to do is take the, you know, if you will, eat the grapes, spit out the seeds, leave behind what doesn't work. Because there's sometimes... And that, you know, my pastor said the other night, there's sometimes you need to abandon the nets. There's some nets we just need to abandon. There's some things you don't need to be connected to. But there are some places that need to be scrubbed. There's some neat net, nets, if you will, that need to be scrubbed and cleaned. And, and uh, that the washing of the water by the word can do a work in there uh, in our lives and, and uh, flush out the stuff that works or doesn't work, I'm sorry, and keep the stuff that does work but then begin to mend the nets so that God can bring us together. And see, one of the things that's going to cause us to be able to do that is, again, coming into a confidence of your own identity where you're not threatened by somebody else's success. I, I think that's probably one of the biggest problems is jealousies and things and, and pride comes in where we're afraid to receive from somebody or it makes us look like we're smaller if somebody can teach me something. I've got to tell you, man, I, I'm a student. I'm a student before I'm a teacher and I've continued to be a student and I have been added to uh, in my own understanding from many, many camps. I'm, I'm telling you, I study stuff from, from uh, many, many different denominations and have been added to by all of them. But once he begins to uh, call these men, he says, come and then I'll make you fishers of men. And uh, they immediately they leave their nets and they follow Jesus and they get in, uh, uh, they, they follow Jesus and immediately they leave their boat and their, and their father and they follow Jesus. They've been uh, so touched by the fact that he called them that they're willing to walk away from what used to work. I think even at times when I think about, you know, these nets and I think about methods of fishing and, uh, you know, uh, sometimes I, uh, you know, I've been in, like I said, I've been in ministry full time for almost 40 years. And I think about how things have changed over the years. And sometimes it gets more and more difficult as you get older to be able to change with the times and, and uh, you know, and, and the different kinds of uh, maybe genres and music or the different methods of reaching people. I mean, I, I'm thankful that I've kept up to date somewhat with things like Facebook and Twitter. And uh, I don't do uh, maybe Instagram and some of that, but, but with Facebook and some of that stuff, they're great, powerful tools tools that can be used as nets to work uh, in the kingdom of God. And they will, uh, you know, they'll, uh, these nets are just methods of catching fish. Uh, one of the things I think we need to do is we need to move away from uh, methods that used fear and manipulation to catch fish and start preaching the goodness of God that leads to repentance, the grace of God and the goodness of God and the love of God that brings men to a place of repentance. Uh, that may be one spot where we need to mend nets or, or at least abandon some of the old ways of fishing and begin to fish. And I believe we're going to catch fish of every kind. And one of the things that Jesus does, and I think here's his big net, as he went about preaching and teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing all kinds of sickness, all kinds of disease among the people. And uh, when he began to heal and demonstrate and manifest the power of God, 
the kingdom of God being demonstrated became something that was irrefutably attractable. You don't see Jesus necessarily preaching fear uh, in most of his ministry. He simply is demonstrating the goodness of God. And people are coming by the droves. Jesus isn't having a problem drawing a crowd. I'm telling you, man, there are multitudes. And we're going to get into that in the next chapter because when he begins to teach, uh, the, or, or he, as, he, as the multitudes begin to gather, uh, he goes up on a mountain and begins to teach him what's commonly called the Beatitudes. But what I'm after is simply this, is when, when you start seeing the power of God demonstrated, people start to respond. They start to come. There's a net that starts to drag in fish of every kind. And I believe there's a restoration that's, that's in the church right now. I believe there is a, 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 a hunger to see the power of God manifested. And I think one of the things that's going to be the catapult that help us thrust into that is I believe there are people that have come through the testings that Jesus has, and they're not trying to turn stones to bread to make a name for themselves. They've simply come into a relationship with God. They've come into a real identity where they know who they are in Christ. They know what their authority is. And they're not doing it to prove anything, but they're doing it because they are who God said they are. And when Jesus came out of that, he came out in the power of the Spirit. I declare to you that I believe we're standing in a day of great demonstration when the power of the Holy Spirit is being restored back to the church. Now, in order to see God move, we're going to have to give place to it. We're going to have to take time for it. We're going to have to be willing, uh, you know, to set through more than a, uh, an hour-long service, especially when the power of God is there to manifest and to heal people. And uh, I, I think that the Scripture talks about there are many weak and sickly among us because we don't discern the Lord's body. And I believe that there will have to come a flow from the corporate expression of the body of Christ that will manifest through individuals, and there has to be a place and a time for that in order for us to see this. And it's not necessarily setting in services. It can be in your home, in your workplace, at the Walmart. With the moment you let God use you, and you, you, you respond out of not trying to prove anything, but Jesus was moved with compassion. It wasn't pride that moved him. It wasn't insecurity that moved him. It wasn't trying to build a big ministry that moved him. It wasn't who knows my name that moved him. It was a desire to see the kingdom of God come and the suffering of the human condition uh, to be eased by the power of God that was being manifest. And he was not only preaching the kingdom, he was demonstrating the power of the kingdom. And he said to them, change your mind, repent, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God is still here. It's still a present reality. And, you know, there are people who say, well, all the gifts of the Spirit ceased in the first century. To which I reply from the book of Hebrews, he said, they tasted of the power of the age to come. So the power was not going to end with that old covenant age. The power was from the coming age. You've been great today. I take a moment to write us and to call the number on the screen. Uh, we need your help to take the gospel of the kingdom around the world, around the globe. It takes partners to do that. Uh, maybe think about uh, uh, going online and, and giving via credit card. You can go uh, 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 and, and write a check and put it to that address on the screen, write it to Lynn Howes Ministries. And you can also call the number on the screen, give via credit card or debit card. We appreciate you. Tell your friends about us. Join in again next week at the same time as we continue to talk about the gospel of the kingdom.
The word repentance means to change your mind. The message of John the Baptist and of Jesus was to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is accessed by a change in our thinking. If you are in outer darkness, there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. That reality is not always out in the distant future. It is in people's lives right now. One simple mind shift can move you out of darkness and weeping and into light and rejoicing. God wants to wipe all tears from our eyes and replace our weeping with joy.